Father, we worship you, we thank you. We thank you that this morning we could draw breath, that we could experience another day of your grace, another day of your mercy. Lord, we thank you for this time that we can be together to worship you, to praise you, even though we are meeting in our homes still, in groups. Lord, we thank you that your Holy Spirit is able to be anywhere. And so as we meditate on your word, as we, as we direct our attention to you, we ask that you would meet with us again, that you would come and just reaffirm your presence and your desire for us to be more like Jesus. Right now, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Josh, we want to say thank you for leading us in worship again. That was incredibly blessed. Um, Josh is having a, uh, a, a, a challenging, busy time right now as he's also finishing off his studies. So last week we, we looked at James chapter 3 and um, the dangers of the tongue and Josh helped us to see again that as followers of Jesus we need to work hard at um, controlling our tongues. And we were reminded again about the power that exists in this small part of the body. And how well we know that nobody is perfect, um, this should be motivation for us to work at our self-control. Now in James chapter 3, we saw that James started to get us thinking about what is needed to be unstained or unblemished by the world that we live in as followers of Jesus. The world as we know has conflict, it has greed, it has injustice amongst other things. And James starts to address some of those worldly characteristics that appear to be taking root amongst the believers that he addresses with his letter here and by extension for us as well. So we're going to look at the, the whole chapter of, of chapter 4. We'll look at it in two parts. We'll break the reading up into two sections. And so we'll start by reading chapter 4 and we'll read verses 1 to 12. So follow along with me in your Bibles. Chapter 4 starts out like this. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us tends towards envy, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Verse 8. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you who are double-minded. Grieve 
mourn and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? I'm scaling words there. Have you ever had conflict with someone? Now, I think that I have yet to meet someone who has not experienced conflict. I think if you are a human being, you will have had quarrels and fights. Um, in 2009, two researchers, Bell and Hart, published studies that examined the eight major causes for conflict and for fighting, for quarrels. And the, the, the list goes as follows. The first one that causes conflict is resources. So either you have too much or you don't have enough. And if you have too much, someone might chastise you for having so much. And if you don't have enough, someone might shame you because you don't have enough. That's the first one. The second one is an, your approach to conflict. There is a very good chance that your approach to conflict differs from the person with whom you have conflict, and so your opposing views to dealing with the issue leads to a fight. Third, there is perceptions. The way in which you interpret or understand something can be opposite to the way that someone else does, and this then obviously leads to conflict. The fourth one that they found was goals. Uh, everyone has a different goal in mind for the outcome of a situation, for the outcome of a plan. And so it could be to have the other person give in <laughs> in terms of conflict. It could be for the other person to, to compromise or for yourself to compromise or any number of other items. And these Differences in goals, in what it's going to turn out to be, leads to conflict. And the fifth one is pressure. Pressure generates a lot of conflict. There's performance pressure, financial pressure, emotional pressure. All kinds of pressures exist in our lives. Our society, in fact, one could argue, is built on pressure. You must get the best grades to get into the best school, to get the best job, etc., etc. And the pursuit of, of these things under the pressure that is applied leads to disagreements and conflict. The sixth one is power. Everybody wants to have power. Those who do not have any power want power, and those who have all the power want more power. The seventh one is values. Um, world wars are based on values. We have political parties because of differences of values. People hate each other without knowing a single thing 
about each other because of the values that they hold. So the values also that we hold lead to conflict. And the eighth one is policies. And policies cause conflict because it is in their nature. People with different values create policies, and policies only change when people change them. And so if you disagree with a policy, there are limited ways within which to change the policy, and so there are different approaches to change those policies. Um, protest is one of them, and we are seeing that and how it leads to conflict. Now James, as we read here in chapter 4, has a more direct approach, I think, in understanding why we have conflict, quarrels, and fighting. James, as we see here in chapter 4, focuses in on the root cause of quarrels and fights and conflicts. And James wants us to look at the source of our conflict instead of merely focusing on the triggers of conflict. Conflict, I think when we study scripture we recognize, comes as a result of the fall that we read about in Genesis. And so therefore conflict, just like the fall, touches every aspect of our lives. It is not only in marriages or in workplaces that we see um, conflict having an effect on those, on those contexts. It is in fact every human relationship and institution. And so therefore what James has to say to us here in, the, in this chapter, I think is vital to everyday living. In James chapter 4 verses 1 to 10, we see the source of our conflict and James addresses it. Um, as we see here, under three broad headings. With man, our conflict with God, and the source of our conflict resolution. And we'll pack a little bit more, unpack at least, a little bit more of that. So as we see, James starts out in verse 1 there, by asking a question, and then he answers his own question. And the answer that he gives as to why we fight and quarrel is this, very simply. There are wars outside because there is a war inside. Too often, I think, we, um, we believe that spiritual battles are all outside of us. But the fact of the matter is that we have problems within even after we come to salvation, there is a sinful nature that is within us. The only thing is that now we have the Holy Spirit within us also. So there is a war going on within us because our bodies are not yet redeemed. And this is what Paul talks about. This is what Paul describes in Romans chapter 7, verses 21 to 25 when he describes this fighting between the spirit and the flesh, and he says in Romans chapter 8, I think in verse 23, that we are ultimately waiting for the redemption of our bodies. And so James understands what's going on inside of us. 
And he describes it, as I've mentioned before, under three headings, and we'll look at those quickly. The first point that James makes relates to our fighting with each other, the quarrels that we have with one another. He talks about our passions, desires, and what those passions and desires lead to. And he mentions there in, in the first few verses, he mentions murder, fighting, and quarreling. And he talks about our asking and how our asking in the wrong way only revolves around our own passions and our own desires. And so the asking, the, the requests, are self-centered by nature. There's a quote from an author named Robert Jones um, about conflict in particular. And his, his quote goes like this. He says, Failure to please God, our failure or the other person's or both, is the ultimate cause of all relational conflict. And then he, and then he says, Bank on it. Whenever there is conflict, one or both parties are not pleasing God. So he says that all of our fighting and quarreling comes from our failure in wanting to please God. Our selfishness, our greed, leads to conflict. Now this thought by this author brings an interesting perspective to us, as conflict is often confusing. Um, we could spend our entire lives attempting to unravel the specifics of conflict in relationships. But thankfully, as we see here, the scriptures that we read makes it simple. At the heart of all relational conflict is a failure to want to please God. This truth can, I think, direct us to focus on what really matters, namely, pleasing God during times of conflict. The second point that James makes here um, concerns our conflict with God. And he calls the readers, the people that he's writing to here, an adulterous people and friends of the world. With Jesus jealously longing over the spirit that dwells within us. And James uses language here that reminds us of the image of Jesus being the, the bridegroom and us being the church, being the bride. The same actions that cause our conflict with our fellow man also causes conflict with our bridegroom. So he says, um, these believers have effectively committed adultery by befriending the world in an intimate and the word that he uses there, in an intimate, adulterous way. But thankfully, God gives more grace. You know how you would um, forgive your friend, um, or your husband, or your wife, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, by showing grace? Well, that is what God does for us in this relationship that is being described here. Now, holding that picture in your mind, that relationship, what would it be like in a relationship 
if you only ever ask for things that benefit only you. So in the same way James is saying here, we cannot have hearts that ask of God consistently in order to spend it on our own evil desires, as he says, and still expect to be a friend, a partner of God. The third point that he makes relates to our conflict resolution. James outlines a, a, a few what we could call heart attitudes that will lead to conflict resolution between us, our fellow man, and God. And these heart attitudes, these heart ways of being, may not resolve every conflict, but they will certainly put us in a in a favorable position of pleasing God. In verse 6, um, he mentions grace, and how grace is best received by the humble heart, not a proud heart. A heart that is soaked in grace is a heart that submits to God, that resists the devil, that seeks purity, that directs our emotions, that leads to exaltation of God. And, and as, as James unpacks there, he also says that humility is effectively the path to resolving conflict. Unfortunately, the world doesn't appreciate humility. Um, the world, in fact, sees humility as weakness. But... Humility will rightly value God above self. And therefore the pull of the world system will lose its attraction. And humility will also cause us to pursue godliness in the midst of conflict, which is something that is very difficult to do in the heat of conflict. It will help us to confess our sin before men, which is not easy, and God, and will also assist us as we strive to continue pleasing God in the midst of inevitable human conflict. And James then rounds off this chapter by considering how we think about the future. And so let's read those last Four verses from verse 13 to 17. This is what he says. Now listen you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why do you not even know? Well, he says, Why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. Now, we could preach a whole sermon series, I think, um, just on those few verses. 
and it would be, I think, especially relevant in the light of the year 2020 that we are having right now. I think if there's anything that this year is teaching us, it's that as much as we think and believe that we are in complete control, not only of our time, but also our schedules, then we are learning that we are not. Um, we are learning that control of seasons and times are things that are under God, that are under God's control. Um, it says, though I read somewhere, that being in control is an idea that is so 2019. One of the things that we are learning, I think, in the season is, is the value of time. And who actually is in control of, of our time and our seasons. In these four verses here, James is he's, he's kind of reprimanding these people who he's writing to here. And they perhaps could have been businessmen or merchants. Um, but he says it in a way that is very broad so as to include virtually anyone into that category. And he, and he, and he describes here what this, what this person or these people do. He says, firstly, they, they plan to set out on a trip today to, or tomorrow. Second, they plan to arrive at a destination. Third, they plan to spend a certain amount of time there. Fourthly, they plan to engage in business and carry a carry through a plan of action while they are in that city. And, and fifthly, they plan for the business to have certain results. Now, now, what's the problem here? Because you can ask yourself the question, it doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with, with, with that. To plan and to intend to go places and to do things. And, and there isn't anything that is diabolically wrong because in verse 15, um, he, James says there that it is legitimate to plan to do this or to do that. But what James could be saying here with what's wrong with that is that the plans are made, the plans that are being made, are made without taking a true, full view of life and God into account. And James calls life there a mist, a vapor, that's here for a short time, and then it vanishes. Um, over these past few months, our family lost someone to COVID-19. And it really fell to us as we were mourning um, the passing of, of, of that family member, that life passes by quickly. And that he told to us that life really is a vapor, a mist. In, in James's mind, and, and we could say that he speaks for God here, it makes a difference how you think and talk about life. And I've personally found this to be true, especially during this season. It's really given us time just to reflect on our own lives. 
Because God created us not just to do things and to go places with our bodies, but God created us to have a fullness, a, to have certain attitudes and convictions and verbal descriptions that reflect the truth, a true full view of life and God. And God means for the truth about himself, about who he is, and the truth about life to be known and felt and spoken as part of our reason for being here. So, so you weren't just created simply to go to school or to go to work, to, to use that as an example. You were made to go to school and to go to work with thoughts and attitudes and words that reflect a right, a full view of life and God. And so there is, and there should be more to life than meets the eye. So in closing, you may not know how long your vapor-like life, your mist-like life, will linger in the air. But God knows. Because God decides how long we will live. And James says there, if the Lord wills, we will live. And James is saying here, if this is a true view of life in God, then it should shape our mindset and shape our way of talking and thinking and being. And as we live in a way that pleases God, trying to live without quarrels and fighting, then we must include God in our plans without making any boastful assumptions. Planning, I think, with eternity's values in view, and always submitting our plans to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for, for your words, for your words that guide us in how we live, for your words that help us to understand why it is that we quarrel and fight. We thank you for how you direct us to understand that we actually should be desiring in all that we do to please you. And so, Lord, as we step out into this week, as we negotiate the weeks and the months that lie ahead, that still brings to us a lot of unsurety. We ask that even during these times that you would work in us by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would come and shape our thoughts, that you would come and shape our direction that we choose, in a way that would always want us and lead us into pleasing you. So that we could always say that if it is your will, we will live and we will do this and that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.